0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello, everyone. Just wanted to come to you before this podcast to give you a little bit of context as to what's going on here. This is a Patreon episode that we released on our Patreon yesterday. Uh, I wanted to release it on this regular feed to give you an idea of the type of stuff we're doing on our Patreon, and also because our guest was kind enough to join us, and I wanted as many people as possible to be able to listen to him. Uh, This is an episode that's not necessarily about the Phoenix Suns. It's about sports reporting in general, and we're joined by Alex Shepard, who is a writer for The New Republic and recently wrote about sports reporting in an article titled, Sports Reporting is Broken. That article touched on the Sharania, Kyrie Irving story, Adam Schefter, and much, much, much more. I highly recommend reading that piece and checking it out. I'm going to play it now. It's a different theme song. It's for our, our patreon podcast called the Overtime Line. if you're interested in signing up for the patreon and hearing stuff like this sign up at patreon.com slash the timeline otherwise just consider this an extra bonus episode this week we appreciate you guys we're gonna get right to it
0: what a game going to overtime the overtime
1: All right, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to have this conversation. Um, we were just talking before recording. Now, it's going to be a, a bit of a different conversation, I think, for Sam and I and for listeners of this podcast, but it's something that uh, I've touched on online and I think in private <laughs> in talking to people. I have talked about this a lot, uh, but you recently, a few weeks ago now, we're, we're getting to a little late here, wrote an article uh, titled, Sports Reporting is Broken. And it's essentially about the problems with uh, journalism in sports today and why, I think, why that negatively affects the consumer, in my opinion. Um, but uh, I'd like you just to just to sort of break down what that article was about in, in your mind.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the sort of, the nut of the piece is basically this story that Shams Charania did about Kyrie Irving, where it ostensibly served a purpose, which was to inform the public of something that we didn't know about. We didn't know why Kyrie Irving wasn't getting vaccinated. And, uh, and Shams came out and did this story that said, well, I've got it. I finally have the answer here. I've solved the mystery. Uh, The answer is that Kyrie Irving, you know, has decided that he has a stance that's bigger than basketball. He uh, wants to stand up for people who are being negatively affected by, Uh, the vaccine mandate, who are losing their job, uh, and that is why he is not uh, getting vaccinated. And, you know, you could read this article, and and almost everything in it was obviously not true. It was a sort of public relations exercise masquerading as news, but for me, it kind of summed up the problem with the sort of dominant form of sports journalism. This, This is really across all of the major leagues in sports, which is that it's not really about you know informing people about what's happening. It's not about you know explaining what people's thought processes are, even what's happening on the court or the field or whatever. It is it exists to serve these really narrow, uh, like the narrow self-interest of the people involved. I think that is occasionally, as it was in the Kyrie story, uh, the players. But I think more often than not, it's agents, it's team owners, it's team executives, and these are people. know who are not uh, feeding truthful information they're trying to manipulate uh, narratives they are trying to manipulate the public into you know in many cases either getting their perspective across or uh, you know saving money you know dumping on players that kind of thing
3: you I really liked Alex the fact that you didn't bring up Shams was kind of the the crux of the article but you brought up Adam Schefter as well and I almost feel like I shouldn't ask you this question because I feel like it's too obvious but I also kind of feel like we could spend 45 minutes on it alone which is, how did we get here? <laughs> how did we get to this situation? You kind of talk about that. I really like this one excerpt when you're talking about Shams. Actually, you start here with talking about Schefter, and you, and you say, like Sharania, he needs immediate access to powerful sources so that he can do the thing that's become his stock and trade, firing off scooplet enriched tweets before anyone else can. It's a silly game. It hardly matters to the public that these bits of news get reported a few minutes early, but fast is the only unique ability that Sharania and Schefter bring to the job how did we get to this sort of market environment where something that is so on the surface superficially uh you know useless is is kind of the only thing that that matters to these reporters
2: yeah i mean i think it's that's a complicated question to answer but i think that you see this in you know i mostly am a political reporter you see this right. in politics a lot as well where and you know it's been the basic uh you know competing for new information you know is has been a part of journalism for hundreds of years right and and having a monopoly on new information you know is is valuable at least in theory but what you've had particularly in the social media era is a kind of arms race among the major uh news outlets so ESPN now CBS The Athletic like everybody tries to have at least one of their you know one guy whose job it is to like elbow their way in to muscle their way in and get this information you know we call it like winning the morning right like when you've got something that nobody else does uh or at least in you know the political sphere and that concept i think is really like slowly overtaken almost everything else so there's just this like constant churn it's constant like fighting for information and you see it you know Adrian Wojnarowski is kind of the pioneer of this but you know, they they see themselves not necessarily, it's almost something that's outside of journalism. Like they see themselves as as a kind of ally to various self-interested parties that they can muscle their way in and get their, you know, whatever information their source wants out there, you know, as fast as possible to as many people as possible. And I think one of the other things that, excuse me, one of the other things that has coincided with this is this kind of weird uh, decline of access journalism or at least decline of access Mm. where access has always been a huge part of these stories and for a long time you had a weird thing where you know reporters would be on the plane they would often cover for players right this is always the michael jordan story right like the jordan rules finally broke down this sort of these barriers around michael Mm -hmm. jordan but but now that that access is actually i think sort of falling away players have their own social media accounts and so i think there's actually much more competition to get this kind of information and that Uh, you know unfortunately incentivizes people like people we've mentioned already to you know behave in a craven and non-journalistic manner to get that information out there
1: right yeah it's actually kind of funny that you talk about that because I believe after you published your article is when Kyrie Irving went on Instagram live himself and sort of incoherently explained his own reasoning uh, as to you know sit out the season essentially which is what he's doing right now uh and it just in a in a weird backwards way it showed why he needed Shams because as incoherent as the article was it made more sense than the Instagram live video <laughs> to an <laughs> yeah. extent because there was not like these extra layers of editing and like PR on top of that and is it is it specifically do you think the way that like we Sam and I we technically we are with Blue Wire. This podcast is a, a Patreon podcast first, but we are with Blue Wire. But we don't. We're not really journalists. We're not really reporters. We don't go to the games. We don't have access. And and for me, I've never actually even tried to do it because I do. Part of me feels like there is a bit of editing uh, as far as the opinions that people have. Like we're opinion people at, at our core. Um, because they're afraid of losing access. Do you think that the the way that sports is capable of controlling access so much is the reason that it's sort of gotten to where we are? Because, like, you know, if you go to the team, we we cover a team that's Robert Sarver owns. like <laughs> that's that's a big part of this year. Uh, and I do wonder if people who are covering, the Suns, and are that close to it, maybe aren't giving us the full picture of Robert Sarver because they're afraid of losing their access. Maybe that's a paranoid thing for me to think about, or do you think that has some effect in how teams are covered?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've seen this in New York, too, where people who've, yeah. you know, done negative stories about the team, about Isaiah Thomas, about James Dillon, the owner. Like, those people were shut out. I mean, but and that's also New York, right, which has a, a much uh, more... I mean, even even now, with the decline of the tabloids, we still have a much more sort of sharp-elbowed uh, sports press, or at least sure. local sports press in a lot of other places. Um, but, you know, I think that, that you know that's a fact of, of the business as well, is that, you know, once access becomes your stock and trade, then you're constantly worried about losing it. You're constantly having to protect those kind of avenues. And I think teams themselves have gotten very, very... Uh, uh, sort of clever about how they deploy this, you know, especially because there are so many, um, especially because there are so many other avenues that they can that they can use. So they can threaten to withhold information, uh, and you know, for a lot of people, particularly in a smaller, particularly in a smaller market, uh, if you don't have that kind of access, then you're done. Like if you're shut out, and you work at the Philadelphia Inquirer or something, um, right if you're Keith Pompey and you make the wrong person (laughs) upset, this is a weird example of the use, but um, then, you know, I think that 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 really could negatively affect your career, especially if your goal is ultimately to move beyond the Philadelphia Inquirer or whatever. Uh, You know, I mean, again, this is not unique to sports journalism, but what you've seen is there's a kind of battening down of the hatches, right? So anyone who isn't a sort of safe, space for this kind of information like gets shut out immediately so you also have this other kind of bizarre thing in which you know you have some reporters who are clearly in with certain agents and some reporters who are on the outs of those agents you have some reporters who are in with certain teams i think ordinarily you would hope that this kind of environment would sort of shake out to give you kind of a fuller and clearer picture but instead what i find is that you know the thing we've sort of i don't know if we've quite articulated it yet but So much of what this fight is about is literally tweeting something out, you know, maybe 45 seconds before somebody else does. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole, the whole drive of this is, is that, and, you know, I think it it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Right. Right. Like, and that, this is information usually, you know, when I look you know, I'll turn on my Woj notifications during free agency because I'm (laughs) an animal, But like, you're just like, oh, you know, Rashawn Holmes got signed to a two year, $10 million deal. Like, this could be a press release from the team. And yet, like, it's part of this kind of larger, larger arms race. And I think what it ends up doing is really distorting uh, what journalism writ large is supposed to be, not to, to sort of, you know, get on my soapbox. But you're like, you know, if you think about it, it's not that complicated of business like mm-hmm. you either want to be providing new information or you want to be providing context that helps people understand what they're witnessing and in this instance i think the the desire for new information has become so strong that it actually warps that context and often gives you an incomplete picture of of you know what you're witnessing
1: yeah and i just want to just for people that are listening because i i think and i'm wondering too the response to the article that you posted and because i do wonder just in general if Uh, fans even care about this (laughs) in any way Uh, because I do and I know a lot of people who write about basketball in the NBA do but just to sort of understand why this matters I think we maybe we could do a better job of explaining that to people because specifically with like the Shamshirania Kyrie Irving piece as an example do you think do you think there was a way for him to just write about that including the information that he got from Kyrie because you know that access still matters like you said it was something that people wanted to know that could have better served the people that were reading it and what would that have looked like to you because I, I think there's a way that maybe the context around the, the comments he was saying and providing some facts around the things he was talking about could have helped or how, how would you view what that would have looked like
2: yeah this is something I've thought about a lot too because I think that that you know, one of the, I think there's a more kind of jaundiced response that I got from people that was like, well, this was something that people wanted to know about and it's newsworthy and he did it. So like, we should be grateful for it, even if it's incomplete. Uh, and you know, you're sort of like, sure. But the issue with this is like, this is clearly a, a, you know, this was, you, you don't have to be a genius to see that this was this kind of, uh, convoluted public relations exercise in which they wanted to pre-launder what Kyrie Irving was going to say publicly. It was sort of a trial balloon also to see what the response was going to be. I mean, I think that the way to do it still, you know, I mean, one you would want to actually talk to Kyrie. One thing we haven't mentioned about that story is that right. it, didn't, it technically, I mean, we had a sources close to Kyrie. Um, you know, and I look, I've been in situations reporting where you've got you're working on something that is big enough and you've got a a direct source who doesn't want, you know, who wants it to be a source close to the governor or whatever. Um, And, you know, that that's a complicated situation on a kind of ethical standpoint. I mean, personally, it's not something that I do. Uh, But in this instance, I think what you would want to do is have a story that, you know, maybe it does (laughs) include uh, Kyrie's claim that he is standing up for the, the voiceless people who are dealing with, these mandates, but you would also want to include a few pieces of context, right? So in that article, uh, Shams is saying, he keeps saying again, again, that Kyrie sees this as being bigger than basketball. He's on this noble quest to do whatever. The context that's missing there, first of all, is that the vaccine has existed since uh, last December, right? People have been getting shots who are younger than 65 since, let's say, late March. Uh, th- you know, these mandates themselves, to the extent that they exist at all, and are mostly private, you know, the federal mandates are only just coming into effect. State mandates here in New York are only coming into effect next month. Um, you've affected very few people. Uh, the timeline here doesn't add up. Uh, Kyrie's own vaccine hesitancy doesn't match with his his purported explanation for why he's not getting it. Uh, and too over you know overlooked in all of this you know he kept. see there's another thing too he says oh Kyrie's not anti-science he's not anti-vaccine he just whatever is against this vaccine yeah, right that, like, kind of, that was an egregious yes comment. and and you're just like that is it's not true like it, it's ridiculous yeah. and I think saying it 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 is insulting to your readers to say it um, you can certainly you know you the best thing you may get from Kyrie may be yeah I'm doing this for the silly reason right and you know he's a tough. I, I can only imagine he's a tough guy to report on. Um, but but none of that was there. And you know there wasn't enough in there also that was just like, hey, you know the vaccine itself is is safe and doesn't
3: cause any of these
1: problems. Yeah, and it didn't mention that at all. You know, all.
3: in in trying to draw the justification for why fans should care, I think it's important. Obviously, everyone consumes national news. But I think for a lot of fans, in order to get them to care, it's, it's important to draw that direct line right down to their favorite team. And so you mentioned the New York market before, Alex. You mentioned the, the so-called reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer, too. I think it's important to stress to people that like, localism isn't safe from this. For as much as we talk about a, a Shams versus Woj versus Schefter type battle at the top, kind of in every single market, this is going on to a lesser extent. And so, some of your favorite, you know, reporters—they may be the traditional beat reporters who play by the rules, or they may be so-called "quote unquote" insiders who are cutting corners and putting out tweets 45 seconds early so that they can get the best scoops as well. But you know, there's a there's a direct line of influence here going down to every single team. And and I, I don't know. I guess I just how do you stress that to people in a way that they realize it's affecting them directly, even if they don't think it is.
2: Well, I think one of I hope that you'll you'll uh, permit me a slight digression here, but one of the best articles of sort of, not quite sports reporting, but sports analysis I read this year was by this guy Dean Van Wynn, and it was technically about Liverpool, the uh, English Premier League team. And what he was writing about was he sort of had spent the summer uh, reading like Liverpool Twitter and Liverpool Reddit. <laughs> and what he found was that everyone participating in it was insane they'd all (laughs) lost their minds um and because they were obsessed with transfers right which is like the whatever the free agency in soccer and there's a line in this piece that has stuck with me forever which is like they these people literally made a coup in guinea about liverpool's transfer policy or lack thereof and you know i think soccer soccer journalism in my opinion may be even worse than a lot of the things that we're talking about but it is emblematic of this same issue right which is so much of this stuff is off-court stuff and it's like it's it's owner stuff it's about money it's about and in many cases making sure agents get paid it's making sure owners save money in some cases it's making sure players are paid what they deserve but this obsessive focus on these kind of very minute um, roster changes on free agency, on this kind of like Game of Thrones style um, backroom wheeling and dealing, particularly I think you know the, the idea of free agency rumors and trade rumors which almost always are just you know thrown out there by agents for self-justifying reasons. They've actually warped people's ability to understand um, to, to not understand but to actually connect with the sport itself in a way that I think is really, for mm-hmm. me at least, is really unsettling. Um, And, you know, there was a thing I think Roy Smith wrote about the the article I was mentioning earlier that Roy Smith's the Times soccer reporter. But he said something where he's like there's this phenomenon in which the actual soccer is seen as an audition for the real business, which is transfers. Yeah. Like that (laughs) that what we have is this inverted world of sports journalism in which in which the sport, the point of the whole thing has somehow become tertiary. And instead what yeah. we're talking about all the time is money. And the people who end up benefiting when we're talking all the time about money, they aren't the players, they aren't the fans, like they aren't the communities that any of these people live in. They're agents and their owners, and that's it.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
3: I think yeah. of Zach Lowe, who says the same thing all the time. Arguably the best mainstream basketball analyst, you know, someone who's really accomplished yes. a lot in terms of, of bringing it to a mainstream level and not completely selling out his ability to analyze the game. But he talks on his podcast all the time. Free agency, hottest time of the year. And no matter what you do at any level, if you cover this game, it doesn't seem like something you can escape from at this point. Yeah.
1: Well, and yeah. even Sam, uh, so just as an example, a basketball example, to bring this into our fans' minds here, y- you cannot hear someone with a national platform talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. They don't talk about basketball anymore. What they talk about now is the prospect of Zion Williamson changing teams. Yeah. right. Zion's not even in a contract here yet. They've brought up the possibility of him potentially accepting this qualifying offer, which is still uh, over a year away right and 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 it's just this this whole market around the idea of him changing teams that is now secondary to the actual sport and the basketball around it and i don't think it's unique i don't think it's unique to soccer i don't i do think that for whatever reason the the transaction game uh, the way it's reported in basketball there has been this weird importance put on who breaks the news first <laughs> yeah And I think that is something that you touched on. Um, And your point that you made is that it's completely valueless. It's completely valueless. And it's funny, too, because we're talking about Shams. This is something that drives me crazy, too. Now I'm just airing out grievances here. But (laughs) Shams will report a... You noted that something could have been a press release by the team. Shams will report something that is a press release by the team. Oh, my God. This bothers yeah. me, yeah. And not put the source that it came directly from the team as if he is breaking the news. Yeah. So there is even, like, this... sort And understanding, right, Shams, I think, understands that there's a, a large amount of NBA fans that have notifications turned on for his tweets, so they'll see his tweet before they see any press release that's coming from the... You know, Chicago Bulls PR Twitter account or whatever that people don't actually follow, uh, and 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 why do you think that that's happened And can you make the case that it's valueless? Because for whatever reason, NBA fans in particular care about that for some reason.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I call these people inbox guys in politics. The politics world, they always you <laughs> know do all caps inbox or whatever. Inbox Kamala Harris oh, speaking God, to. Yeah children or whatever like who who cares right. like <laughs> it's it like oh thank god this guy from politico told me that kamala harris is gonna talk to some kids yeah uh, <laughs> um i mean i think in, in the in the sports world um i mean i think it, it's partly well I, I mean again i think some of it is like just this weird thing where you know there are you know when you look at the responses to woj and sham, sham so after they um after they tweet stuff, it's you know it's so many people just being like, "Whoa, did it first or yeah. whatever." Ratio, um, yeah, yeah, which is <laughs> you
3: fell you off. You know, I think
1: become yeah. <laughs> yes, become um, this, reply guys, right?
2: Yeah, and you know it's all bots now or whatever. It's like you know I could write like a dissertation just about these people, <laughs> but um, but I think that you know has become its own kind of sport within yes a sport. But I think also you know one of the things that. And this is like not to be all you know, Bill Simmons tinfoil hat hatty you here because we could also talk. Bill Simmons has a lot to answer for with this too, which we could talk about later. Yeah. But, um, but you know, my tinfoil hat there is you're like, well, what does ESPN get out of this, right? Because Woj, anyone who's seen Woj on television knows that he's terrible on TV, which is ESPN's <laughs> actual business. Uh, he is frequently scooping their own. They're like undercutting their own broadcasting, Mm -hmm. uh, as he does during the the draft draft every year. Um, And you know what's the benefit? But I think the benefit is actually that they are conditioning uh, their viewers to care extensively about this kind of transaction, right? Because when you turn on ESPN most of the day, you know, you it's not like people are talking about. breaking down tape or whatever like they're talking about transactions right they're talking about how you know the dallas cowboys need to make a move if they're gonna you know make it to the conference finals this year uh they're talking about this all all this kind of like smoke and mirrors um you know smoke filled backroom deals kind of thing uh and i think that the sort of the purpose that they serve is conditioning people to say like what i actually care about is knowing that um you know the, the uh Toronto Raptors traded for DeLon Wright or whatever. (laughs) And I know 35 seconds before I would find it somewhere else. Um, and you know, I think that that's maybe the benefit, but again, from a journalistic standpoint, you know, there are certain scoops that you get that you're like this, no one else can do this. Right. And it's not like it's coming, you know, like whatever, not, this is a silly example, I'm like the access Hollywood scoop, right? Like that is new information of paramount importance. Uh, and or maybe not paramount but it's of interest mm-hmm. nav, the national interest most of this stuff you know you're just like if it, the team could have just put this up on their website and it could have gotten out any other way um, and again like it doesn't value people unless you you see that you, unless you have an economic mm-hmm. or rooting interest in turning the world of sports into this kind of very convoluted um, kind of game yeah. of in which like w- the most important thing is, is wheeling and dealing well,
1: with well, Woj, I mean, uh, it's kind of funny that, sorry, Sam, I no, just want to say, it's kind of funny that now Woj and Shams are, are including the agent's names in the yeah. tweets, they just showing even that, right, The whatever the importance of of it uh, is perceived as, like the reality of it is so that the agent can say, look at this deal that I got this role player. <laughs> yeah, It's pretty good,
3: isn't it? Right. And then he uses that to sell other role players on it. But Sam, go ahead. No, just that, you know, we're talking about what does ESPN get out of this? Well, I guarantee they're looking at quantifiable metrics, but the problem is these quantifiable metrics even don't necessarily mean anything. You look at Woj's, two words that I guess drive me crazy at this point is just impressions uh, and engagement, Mm -hmm. two very Twitter words. And if you look at Woj's impressions uh, and engagement, during a period like free agency or anytime there's a trade deadline, yada, yada, they, they skyrocket. But, you know, as, as we talked about, what does that engagement actually look like? It could be um, it could very well be a bot war, but maybe ESPN likes a bot war. I don't know. It's 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 tough, I think, for me to unravel how these executives, many of whom are older, how they value digital <laughs> spaces. I, I, I really don't think anyone's figured it out yet. Twitter is not a profitable venture at this no. point, not in 2021.
1: <laughs> well, for ESPN I think what they want is well, you'll notice there's a there's a specific pattern to the way that Woj tweets now. He'll tweet the he'll tweet the initial report, he'll tweet a follow-up of the initial report, and then the third tweet, right when people already have the notifications on, is a link directly to the story on espn.com. Right, drive yeah. engagement
3: to to the main website. Yeah, Where I understand they're actually sold, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean and I think again one but one of the questions is how much there actually is there. I mean, I think that there is, you know, some of this is just newsroom psychology, which again, I, I understand a little bit, which is like, if you got a guy who's out, who's out there breaking stories that you're not breaking, then like, you want that guy, you know, in the case of Woj, literally pissing in, well, not literally, but pissing inside the tent. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and I think that, that, you know, that becomes difficult, right? Because the incentives are just like, if you don't have this guy, this scoop hound out there, then somebody else is gonna get him and they're gonna get whatever ancillary benefits are there. Although in this case I don't even know how much traffic Woj is really driving because, you know, he doesn't he does most of his work on, on Twitter yeah. and occasionally links out. He does occasionally appear on television where he looks sort of like Richard Nixon in the nineteen sixty
3: presidential debate. Um, but not to mention he he just like everyone else is appealing to media literate audiences that don't click on those things. They they don't. It the effectiveness yeah. is off, but yeah. What well, I think it's worth underlining
2: too, when we're talking about impressions and engagement here, you know, where I think we're talking about this, this deck that Woj has sent out to people, but like what impressions yeah. and engagement mean, right? In the, yeah, yeah, in the context of that deck, are this is leverage, right? Like I will tweet that you know X team is strongly considering doing Y, right, and that creates pressure right because you as an agent presumably would then yes. say well this has got you know seven hundred twenty thousand retweets or whatever and again i don't know if that actually is how um agents and executives think about this kind of thing but like it's clear that what he's selling in that instance isn't like i can get this out there it's like no no i can get this out there and it's good for you financially mm-hmm. like and that's why you should give this information to me i think it's a really um I mean, it's it's a really, like, craven document for that reason.
1: Yeah. I, I think, um, I, let me just tell a story, I guess. It's, it's the best, because one, one of the points I want to make to people is uh, there was an instance uh, early on in the season, or uh, sorry, I should say late last season, where Zach Lowe mentioned that DeAndre Ayton was clearly going to get a max contract. It was the first time I heard somebody mention it this way. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fascinating. And he, he held that line throughout the offseason. And my first thought was, what are the other Bill Duffy clients that Zach Lowe has talked about? And this is, I think, one of the issues with the way that things are happening with uh, sports media in general is now I'm hearing analysis by someone who should be an analyst at his core and questioning whether or not it's information that's coming from an agent, and if that agent manipulation is being factored into his analysis. Now, you might say, well, you have no proof that that happened to Zach Lowe, but here's something that did happen. <laughs> uh, recently, uh, I should say about halfway through last season, there was an event that agents and executives and maybe some friends of Sam and I were at, where uh, Mikhail Bridges' agent just so happened to be there and said offhandedly in front of people that Sam and I know, that Mikhail Bridges would not accept a contract extension at less than $20 million a year. And those people that were there told Sam and I about it, and we thought it was interesting. And we did not report it, because we're not reporters, but we did find it interesting. Uh, A few weeks later, on the Zach Lowe podcast, he mentioned that Mikhail Bridges likely wouldn't accept an extension for less than $20 million. Now, that technically... Uh, was something that he said, uh, just like his impression of that was that. But he was there. <laughs> we know that Zach Lowe was there. So essentially, this information is now sort of being funneled through Zach Lowe as analysis. But what people don't know, the missing piece of that, was that's something that Zach, that McElbridge's agent said in front of Zach Lowe. So there's this weird element of me questioning whether or not this analysis is real and whether or not it's, it's sort of... Agent-funded uh, press uh, press releases, essentially, and and yeah. I guess that's kind of the point that you were trying to make with the article. And I imagine, I assume, this happens very, very, very often uh, in sports media in general, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's you know, you're basically like, I mean, it, and this is true in all media, right? And I I get there's a lot of times where I'll be offered an exclusive on something, and you know, the question that you have to ask yourself is, well, what what does the person who is giving this to me want right yeah and I think that you know you know and again I'm not a like scoop driven reporter like I I write mostly daily I do mostly analysis you know I like getting scoops when I can get them but I think you know it's not and I think maybe if that was you know the the sort of definitional part of my job I might have a more slightly different answer here but I do think that one of the things that's missing with a lot of this because it's because you have this like warped relationship, right? Where, um, you know, Zach Lowe in this instance, who again is, I mean, not to beat up on him cause I think he actually is like the sort of counter example to a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, him saying that like you also, you know, would, I think, I think where that information is coming from or the context for it is actually important in this. And I think how you do that in a story is often complicated and I think it is especially complicated if you again if there's a lot of competition and part of the idea here is that if you get if you're given a scoop for something then by definition you kind of like do a kind of wink nudge about whatever weird you know manipulation is happening behind the scenes but you know I think that this you know this as a whole is a really bad way to at least do foundational basketball reporting or any kind of reporting because you essentially are Giving yourself over to your sources all the time, and I think the Kyrie example is so egregious because it shows what happens when your entire worldview is based on passing credulously passing along information, right? Because again, does it really matter that Mikael Bridges wants yeah. you know whatever twenty million dollars right. a year, and he whatever he gets four for ninety or whatever he yeah. ends up getting, <laughs> um, you know, you know, bully for him. Um, but what you see with the Kyrie thing is like actually when when anything even remotely significant or important Mm -hmm. comes into this kind of thinking these guys are not capable of thinking like reporters and instead like they're only capable of saying okay well my job is to be a doormat for this agent so you know let me be a doormat except in this instance what i'm saying is is that like you know Kyrie is a hero speaking up for billions of vaccine hesitant people you know even though that's ridiculous
3: (laughs) As um, as we begin to try and approach an upshot here, is there any way you can or we can uncouple ourselves from everything we've been talking about today, or are we doomed? I think that we're doomed <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's Patreon, Sam. Clearly,
4: you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's just kidding.
2: Yeah, it's Chinatown. Um, you know the the. You know i think again the issue at this point is like this is um, you know and not to not to be all like dsa or whatever but you're like the amount of money that is involved in like in keeping these things going is it's so significant that there isn't really any um sorry somebody's making dog noises outside my apartment right now <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um uh it's halloween in new york city um, <laughs> you know i think there's so much money involved in keeping all these things going and like, you know, the networks and these various uh, journalistic outlets, like they want to make sure that they're constantly at the center of the conversation, agents and teams want this. And, and, you know, I think players to a lot of ways, you know, their incentives are often aligned to the agents in these ways as well. I think one of the more distressing things is I think that this mode of reporting has really kind of crowded out a lot of more thoughtful, uh, a thoughtful work, and I think I mean, I think the athletic, by and large, you know, I'm a big believer in beat reporting in general, both in the sports world and the non-sports world. One of my worries with what's happening in the athletic, especially as they pursue a sale, is that you're seeing more of that getting getting kind of driven out. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, I think, thoughtful and engaged beat reporting that doesn't do what we're doing, even mm-hmm. though you know these people often, you know, these reporters often are enmeshed in in uh, locker rooms and clubhouses, and I think that. You can see the incentive structure being more and more towards like let's just you know go for new news like we want new news all the time um and and i think in in general like the other problem is uh that this is a larger journalistic problem right like um this is another one of my ridiculous leaps but you know there's something as well here when you're like like i i covered the or not i mean i wasn't there but i was writing about the, the uh, fall of Kabul, right? Mm-hmm. And there's all of this attention, obsessive attention in, in late August being paid to the fall of Kabul because it's new. It looks like Saigon, right? Like Afghanistan's been this quagmire forever, and suddenly stuff is happening there for the first time. And you get three weeks of wall-to-wall coverage because it's new we need new information we need shots of the airport and then it just goes back to being a quagmire and nobody talks about it but like if you talk to people who are in Afghanistan you talk to people who know about Afghanistan like there are things that have been happening there that continue to happen there that have happened there for 20 years and the incentive structure is always like we need new flashy images we need new flashy scoops uh and you know what gets lost with that are I think really important stories about what's actually happening places, and unfortunately, like our entire media structure is not uh, is not built right. to to like give people that kind of information.
1: Yeah, I think we saw sort of this the tide of COVID coverage just sort of wax and wane, and just sort of how that built up to this massive um, fervor. And then, uh, you know, even as cases grew and the media coverage did not necessarily grow with it as well. And just people just get tired of certain types of stories. I do think there's a side of this where what is sometimes missing is reporters writing about stories that say owners of teams don't want people to hear about. And that's um, something that is about to happen. Now, we're recording this just so people are aware on the 29th of October. uh, The story that has been reported on, scooped, if you will, is... about Robert Sarver has not yet been released as of the time of this recording. You may be listening to this, and and it could be out there, assuming it's released. Uh, We don't really know what this story is going to be, Alex. Um, Jordan Schultz sort of gave us an idea of it. Uh, You know, it sounds like real journalism, right? We can kind of look at this and say, this actually sounds like real journalism. There's people on the record, potentially, talking about... um, things that have happened with Robert Sarver, including racism, sexism, sexual harassment within the organization. Uh, there's people that are off the record, but they have uh, purported, purportedly interviewed up to 50 people for this story. Um, and I guess this is a way of me saying, maybe it's not all broken, there's just elements of it that are. And do you have any thoughts when you saw... First of all, I thought it was interesting that it was scooped the way it was. The story has yet to come out. What are your thoughts on this specific story and how it was scooped?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, there's also the uh, the uh, the Phoenix Suns themselves, I think, have given us an idea of what the story is about by uh, sending out a number of... Or maybe it was the Phoenix Mercury that sent out a number of uh, statements saying... Yeah, both. Yeah. Both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, saying, or, you know... James Jones says, Robert Sarver doesn't have a racist bone in his body. (laughs) Um, you know, my, my Robert Sarver doesn't have a racist bone in his body. T-shirt is asking a lot of questions already answered by the shirt. Um, (laughs) I think, I mean, I think that this is the kind of thing that you want. You know, I think, I, I think one of the other like real deficiencies in sports journalism that you've seen over the last, uh, four years, five years is, uh, an unwillingness to talk about off court stuff. Uh, and I think maybe an over willingness to talk about kind of you know as we've been talking about t- tangential financial stuff. So issues involving um, sexism, sexual harassment uh, in clubhouses. I think also like racism as well. Uh, I think there's been I think a squeamishness among sports reporters in part because of this idea of like that you have to stick to sports all the time. That you know if you if you even deign to like you know put a foot over the line then you're joining whatever the unwashed hordes at defector media or something um (laughs) and i think i think that we are really seeing that break down a lot um i think it shouldn't have taken this like i think particularly particularly in baseball i think having more uh female reporters in the clubhouse has made a big big uh difference but again that shouldn't be the standard um this i mean it's a tough story to talk about because we don't really know what it is but what I think we can we can suspect is that you know within people who have worked within the Phoenix Sense organization that this has been an open secret right presumably we would expect that reporters involved would have known it as well and like you know again the people who own these TV sellers of the Donald Sterling thing you know I guess you know I mean not to bring my own baggage into this you know James Dolan still owns the New York Knicks Mm -hmm. but uh, but you know I think that I think that they're You know, there are only 32 owners, and like the commissioner's job is to protect those 32 owners. Uh, Like that's their number one job, Uh, and I think you you see the kind of the way that power works in these uh, in in all of these leagues. Like when whenever stories start to threaten the owners, and I think Mm -hmm. this is. Uh, I think it's going to be a real test of that.
3: Um, I, again, we don't know the details of the piece, at least as of this date. Maybe it comes out by the time you hear this, but I think the fact that it was scooped in the way it was says something about the whole process related to what we're saying. And I don't know if you saw that exact original tweet from Jordan Schultz, Alex, but it was very much like this. You know, Here we are, we're talking about what's supposed to be purportedly a serious piece of journalism involving many, many interviews taking place over many, many months. And you have a tweet that comes out and says, basically is editorializing the story before it comes out and says, this is going to be a big yeah. story. He literally says, Robert Sarver may have to sell the team kind of giving a reaction before we have the details. So I, you know, I think that right there says, and, and that tweet was seen by yeah. how many millions of people. You yeah, know? And yeah.
1: Jordan's dad was a former owner of the Seattle supersonics. <laughs> yes. He was
3: also a
2: Howard failed presidential candidate. Howard yeah. Schultz. Starbucks He's, guy. Yeah. 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 Oh uh, yeah. I, I, briefly had to cover that campaign. It was one of the worst assignments I've had in my entire life. Um, Howard Schultz is terrible. Um, but, but I think, you know, with, with that, you're just like, what? Well, first of all, that's rat behavior. And I don't like, I don't like it. Like, I don't understand what purpose this serves other than, again, creating a kind of runway for, uh, Phoenix to preempt it. right? Right. I mean, I think the one thing that we probably do know about, um, about this story is that it's not going to be an ESPN <laughs> because that's ostensibly where Jordan Schultz works. Right. Oh no. Um, he's, um, wait, or see some or see. Oh, you're right. He sorry, was, he, was so with you, ESPN. He was he with was, ESPN. Right? No, this will,
3: this will be going yeah. out on every ESPN channel. This is an ESPN yeah, yeah. investigation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So then excuse me that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So in that case, you're just like, this is a guy who, I mean, again, maybe you hear it through the grapevine the way that, you know, right. I sometimes hear about stories that are, coming out at other organizations but like i mean one it doesn't do a reporter any good because again what you're also doing is you're chumming the water right so this also allows you know the 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 jordan schultz tweet is an invitation for any other reporter particularly one more credulous than uh the ones that are working on this investigation to go and like get the phoenix suns version of events out there uh to preempt whatever this is um and I think that that, again, like that shows, I think, how these incentives are misaligned because there just are always people who are willing to carry water for, um, for rich people who don't
1: care about them at all. I think that's <laughs> a great place to stop, <laughs> personally. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about specifically people in our Patreon might be interested in, in working in sports media and and there's like a cynical side of me that's like just just trade access (laughs) Uh, like like you could actually be pretty successful if you just sort of uh give up the idea of having opinions and uh and just just sort of be that sort of mouthpiece that megaphone (laughs) for agencies or teams and you could actually be successful if you understand that's the game uh but alex do you do you think there's any hope for people trying to get into it i know you said that maybe we're doomed Uh, but do you think there's a way for people trying to get into it that could avoid that and be successful? Yes. Love at the time of climate change.
2: No, I think that there is, um, hope, (laughs) uh, I mean there, you know, hope amid the rubble, but you know, I think, look, the, the larger structures are, are built against, I think doing more interesting stuff. And like, you know, I think, unfortunately a lot of the larger players, ESPN in particular, but also, uh, but also, you know, my, my worry is that The Athletic is moving this way as it pursues the sale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's not great. But at the same time, I, I do think that there are, are a lot of people who are doing very engaging and interesting work. I think particularly within the frame of a beat. Uh, and I think that doing beat reporting is actually like one of the most valuable things you can do as a reporter either um, – you know whether it's in sports or politics or or something else like uh both i think to hone to hone your skills but also because it gives you at least theoretically a, a degree of expertise some of which yeah. comes with access that you are not capable of getting like i'm yeah. more or less a general assignment national political reporter right so i kind of parachute in to places all over the country and i say like J.D. Vance, like, what's he about, or whatever. Um, but, you know, when I go to those places, the people I usually want to talk to are people who are reporting, right? you know, in Ohio, because they actually know. right? And I think, you know, the people I know in sports journalism, the people I read in sports journalism who do the best work, they have, you know, may, they might have all of the access, but you get some of it because out of, you know, kind of respect for doing, you know, engaging and, and real work. And you can do that, I think, without selling your soul. Um, But I think one of the really discouraging things is if you do want to be a huge star in this business, I mean, there are some, you know, Mina Kimes maybe is an exception. Mm -hmm. A few, Zach Lowe is an exception. But, but, you know, a lot of the people who are big stars do it by uh, becoming doormats for powerful interests.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think just to sort of bring that to a local level for the Suns listeners here, if once this Robert Sarver story uh, does break... Someone like Kellen Olsen, who covers the Suns beat, has access to the team, will have some of the most interesting takes on that story because of his access and because his familiarity with the team, his understanding of the players, his understanding of the staff that works there now and the staff that worked there in the past. and, And that's the value that comes with the beat. Maybe the day-to-day beat is less interesting to to a a huge audience, but when a major news story breaks like this, no one will have the kind of insight that those beat reporters have uh, because of, like you said, uh, access and familiarity. But Alex, thank you so much for joining us. I think this has been a fascinating conversation. I know you normally write about politics. This is sort of uh, outside of your normal realm of what you cover. I know you write for The New Republic. Uh, you have a podcast called Mr. Difficult Podcast as well. as there anything else that you would like to, to plug?
2: No, I think you've covered all the major bases. But yeah, thank you.
3: I appreciate you, Alex. Appreciate it, Alex. Thank you.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.